So we're, we're in our second week of a four-week series on the seven deadly sins. And as I've mentioned previously, I mean, this isn't really a Protestant concept. It came up in the Roman Catholic Church. It, there's not any sin that's more deadly or less deadly than the others because they all condemn us. From the greatest sin to the least sin, they all condemn us before a holy God. Um, but nevertheless, I think it's a good look for us kind of into our inner, our inner self. I mentioned to my wife this week, um, when I thought of this series, I thought, oh, this would be fun to do. Um, it is awful. It is absolutely awful because I see myself in each of these sins. And you get, you know, whatever, 30 minutes a week in it, and I get however long I spend preparing in the week in it. So if I look depressed, when you're on the way out, say, Scott, it's okay, buddy. You can keep going, okay? So this week, we're looking at the sins gluttony and sloth. And the passage is from Matthew 25, Jesus teaching a crowd. If you would, please stand as God's word is read in our presence. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five, more t- or five talents more. So also, he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master... You delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master would answer him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given. And he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. 
In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Last week, we looked at greed and envy. This look, this week we look at sloth and gluttony. And as I thought about these two particular sins, I could not imagine a more all-encompassing picture than what we have at home. This is our guinea pig. Do you know what a guinea pig's life is like? I mean, you can't really make a documentary out of it because it's this. They eat and they sleep. And that's about it. Our guinea pig, while very cuddly and adorable, you can see there she's afraid. I'm not going to eat her. But what she's, ex- what she's most excited about in all of her life is food. If you give her hay, hay, animals will eat. She gets excited about it. And you know how much hay she eats? All of it. Whatever is in her cage. Can give her more lettuce than a human could possibly digest in a week. And she eats it in one serving. She is the animal that encompasses gluttony. More, more, more. But also sloth. Because when she's not eating, you know what she's doing? Nothing. She's just sitting there. And so as we look at um, these two sins, gluttony and sloth, what I want us to do, and I want us to do this every week, I don't want us to come away from this with you having the idea of, I'm saying, stop being gluttonous. Stop being slothful. I want the gospel to enter into your life. And I want us to come away with these three questions about each of these sins, okay? The first is, how and why does this sin work in us? Where does it get its grip? How and why does it work in us? Secondly, what does the sin produce? What does it produce in us? And third, how does the gospel, how does the gospel address the sin? So the first sin we're going to look at this morning is gluttony. Gluttony from the Greek word phagos, which means a voracious man, a glutton, inordinate, insatiable desire. Really, when you look at what all of the scholars say is that it's this impulsive overindulgence. This impulsive overindulgence. So how does it work in us? How does it get a grip in us, because we all get this, and we're going to talk about some examples soon. We all feel this way, I'd say, particularly at Thanksgiving. I think this is our most gluttonous day, that and the Super Bowl, right? When you're so full, you can barely roll off your chair into the living room and stay there, okay? But how does it work in us, let's say, on a daily basis? And then what does it look like? You see, behind gluttony, 
I believe, is this feeling of emptiness that we have to fill. And gluttony is the knee-jerk response to that. Food is the most common example for us, right? When we think about a glutton, we think about a some, someone who just eats and eats and eats, impulsively overindulgent. But we feel empty more than just in our bellies, right? So here's some examples. Binge-watching Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever service you use. I mean, this is a form of gluttony, right? It's like you've watched so many shows that Netflix comes on and says, are you done watching this yet? And you click the button that says, I'm still watching it. <laughs> and it keeps on going like that. Or this is the case, um, so I'm guilty of that. Binge watching sports. This is particularly obscene in guys, right? There's a sports station, ESPN, which airs Sports Center, which is one of my favorite shows of all time. And it's, you know what it is? It's a recap of the day's sports, and then they do it the next hour. And you know what? It's the exact same recap, just told in a different way. And it just enthralls me, and I want more, because maybe I'm going to see something else, and I'm feeling empty. Online shopping has become a big thing, too. You know, it used to be shopaholics would kind of go from store to store. And, like, you would come with your big bags home. And now, instead of that, a lot of it's online. And we kind of, we, real, we realize we've done this. When there's so many Amazon boxes at our front door, that we have to take two or three trips to get them in. Friends, that's a form of gluttony. And here's, here's another one. Um, for those of you who are social media aficionados, where do we see gluttony in this? How many times do you check how many likes you've gotten on your post? Three or four is not enough. I have to go back, I'm at 20. This person's got more than me. I'm at 56. There's an emptiness inside of us, and we've got to fill with something. And we try, I mean, we can try with food, and we can talk about gluttony in terms of food, but friends, that's too simple. Because that excuses us from lots of other things. Deuteronomy 21, the passage that I read earlier, it links stubborn and rebellious with glutton and drunkard. I mean, you can turn there if you'd like. I'll read it. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, okay, what happens to this? The son. They take him to the elders and they say, this, son, this our son, is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Now, did you notice that? The command says, if you have a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey, take them to the elders, and then it's tacked on with the assumption that this person is also a glutton and a drunkard. I think what this shows us, that part of our problem in gluttony is continued rebellion. 
It's continued rebellion masked by all sorts of stuff. Because all these things that I talked about, like Netflix, there's nothing wrong with Netflix or sports or food or inherently about social media or online shopping or any of that. That's the thing about gluttony. It takes something and because you're impulsively overindulgent, it turns it into something bad. And what the passage in Deuteronomy 21 is, is really hitting at, it's not merely just impulsively overindulgent, it's that it's persistent. Persistent. I suspect that if you find gluttony in one area of your life, you're going to find it in a lot of different areas. Right? It's not just in one area. What's interesting, too, in this Deuteronomy passage, and it, frankly, it's shocking. The first passage that I read, gluttony eventually produces stoning. And this is one of those hard passages in the Old Testament. Hey, we have a stubborn and rebellious son. Fine. Bring all the men of the city and we're going to stone him to death. I am so thankful that I did not live at this time. So I suspect probably 90% of the sons in this room would be dead. What does it produce in us? What does gluttony produce? Gluttony does, in a way, try to help us feel more, feel more filled, more in control. But what it really produces is insecurity and fear. It produces insecurity and fear. Now, how? Um, have you ever gotten to the point where you're watching a TV show um, and it's a series, maybe two seasons, maybe 13 or whatever, and then it ends? What's that feeling like? The feeling is, well, what's next? Right? Oh, let's go do research. We need to see what, what series or whatever we're going to watch next. Um, that's a sample of insecurity, you know, not knowing what's going to come next. Because if you've been watching the same show, you're like, whew, I know what I'm going to watch. I know what I'm going to watch. And then it ends, and you're like, what do I do? Gluttony produces insecurity. In, in gluttony, when you continue to consume, you never have to stop and ask the question, why? You're always asking the question kind of what's next, what's next, but you never stop and ask the question, why? Why am I doing this? And the why is important. The why is important. Why is the why important? Because the, answering that question, why, determines our gospel obedience. You're familiar with the Ten Commandments. Do you know the verse that precedes the Ten Commandments? I'll read it from Deuteronomy 5. Verse 7 says, You shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number one. Do you know what verse 6 says? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. What Scripture is doing there is giving you a why. God doesn't just come and slap the Ten Commandments on the tablets and say, Do it. He gives you a reason why to obey at the very beginning. Okay, God, why should I obey these Ten Commandments? Because I have redeemed you. 
I redeemed you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And if you look at the New Testament, the entirety of the epistles, Paul, Peter, and the others, is structured this way. Why should should I obey? Because Jesus has already done this. Jesus has done this. You have been made a new creation. All of this, all of these are reasons why then you obey. A lot of times we get it backwards. We get the law before we get the gospel. We get do this, do this, do this. And there's no power in that. If you don't know the reason why, there is no power in your obedience. I apologize. So, so when we talk about gluttony, it goes from stop being a glutton to why am I being a glutton and how does, how does the gospel address that? How has Jesus actually filled my needs so that I don't need another Netflix show, so that I don't need more online shopping, so that I don't need more likes on Facebook? Because he's given you everything you've already, you already need. So we see in gluttony, it really is a sin or even a disease of more, more, more. And on the other hand, sloth is a sin of less, less, less. You know, when we talk about sloth, we often think of it as lazy, but it's actually a lot more than that. And I think the passage that we just read in Matthew 25 illustrates that, right? So I'll read verses 24 through 26 again just to point this out. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. Wicked and slothful. You knew that I reap where I have not sown together, where I have not scattered no seed. He calls the, the servant's actions slothful. Okay, so the two others, the two others, the one who got the five and the two, they went to town, they traded, and they made money. And they made double. So like anyone looking at this investment portfolio says, this is great. I want these guys to invest my money. But... The one, he gets one talent, what does he do? He, in some way it's lazy, in other ways it's not. He takes a talent, I don't know how big these things are, and he proceeds to get a shovel. He digs a hole in the ground. It's in some secret place, right? Puts a talent in, covers it back up to make sure that no one digs there. Um, if you even remember doing this as a kid, like you try to cover it up, make sure that no one notices it's been dug there. And he's got a mark where he left it somehow, so it kind of leaves a marker or something. He hears the master's coming back. He goes and he searches and finds the marker, digs and digs, and he's probably not going to hit it immediately, but then digs and digs some more. He finally finds the talent, covers back the hole, goes back to the master and says, I have it. That doesn't sound exactly lazy, right? Because there's a lot of activity to this. And the Greek word behind this, aknaros, it, it rarely in Scripture just means sluggish or lazy. Most of the time, 
the very word that Jesus uses here, it's being afraid to act or hesitating or shrinking away or timid. We can see that in ourselves. Now, we can see sloth just merely as in lazy. We have days where we're tired and we're just lazy, right? I'm frankly thankful for those days because God rested on the seventh day and we need rest too. That's not what we're talking about here. How and why does sloth work in us? How do we adopt an attitude, let's say, of sloth, right? The first is we're afraid of what might happen. This comes from the servant's lips himself. He says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. I was afraid. I was afraid. My inaction is driven by fear. Have you guys heard of this thing called fear of commitment, right? I mean, we all have. Fear of commitment. The longer I was in campus ministry, the more that I saw it in my students. Fear of commitment. Hey, we're having this, we're having a cookout. You going to come? I don't know. I might. I mean, that's a yes or no question. Are you going to come, right? Yes or no. Fear of commitment. We see this in ourselves. I mean, all of us, if we've been around for very long, we've gotten like a digital invitation, like an evite, right? And it gives you three options to reply. Yes, no, and maybe. Go look at the next one that you get. Let's say it's sent out to 200 people. You have four yeses, 14 noes, and 178 maybes. Because we're afraid to commit. Friends, that's a form of sloth. Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So that's one way it works in us. Second, we're self-obsessed. This sloth produces and feeds a self-obsession. Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow. So I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, what you have is yours. You know what that servant's thinking about? He's thinking about himself. He's thinking about not being on the receiving end of something bad. He doesn't care about the master's talent, this money that he gave him. He doesn't care if he makes money on it. He doesn't care if his master's pleased. He cares about his own hide. Sloth is deep into self-obsession. It's about me. It's not about your spouse, not about your kids, not about your Lord. It's about you, kind of hanging on to that. So how and why does sloth work? Second, we're self-obsessed. But third, to some degree, because of the fall, we despise either physical or spiritual work. So if you remember in the garden, God created it, and he put the man and the woman in it to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth and to subdue it. So two creation commands. Have babies, be stewards over the earth. Okay? So their stewardship over the earth was something that was good. So work isn't a result of the fall. Work was something at the very beginning that God gave us that was good. The problem with with work now is that it's been distorted by the fall. 
And to some degree, you and I don't want to do work. You might be the type of person who likes being busy, but like real work is difficult. And any growth in anything requires work. You know this. If you're studying to play the piano, what do you have to do? You gotta work it. You gotta sit down at that piano and practice. If you wanna grow professionally and get a raise, what do you gotta do? You gotta do your job well and work it and, and keep doing it day in and day out. If you wanna grow in your marriage, friends, that takes work. That's not, that's not a bouquet of flowers and a kiss on the cheek. That's 1 a.m. arguing, yelling sessions. That's what it is. Growth in your community requires work. You're not going to make friends with your neighbors if you don't take the time to spend to get into that, right? So sloth finds its way to work in us in a lot of different ways, you see. So what does it produce in us? What does this, this attitude of sloth produce? Really and truly, you see it in the servant. It produces, on one hand, inaction. And on the other hand, a lack of concern for others. Inaction and a lack of concern for others. And friends, it's really easy to stay in that spot, isn't it? You're not thinking about other people's problems. You're not thinking about your own problems, your own needs. And what it causes you to do is nothing. You just stay in it. So that's gluttony and sloth. Now, let's ask the question. And I believe this is the the most important question. How does the gospel address gluttony and sloth? How does the gospel address gluttony and sloth? So first I want to talk about it in terms of application, then talk about it in terms of Jesus. Okay? So first, in terms of application, gluttony. Many of you know this verse because you know the song, the fruit of the Spirit is not a coconut. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control. Against such things there is no law. You know what the very next verse says? Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's past tense. Past tense. If you are in Jesus, you have crucified the passions and the desires associated with the flesh, which includes gluttony. You do have self-control because your old self has been crucified. Now, second was sloth. 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7 says this, For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. It's not that God is waiting to give us a spirit of power, love, and discipline. It says God has given us not a spirit of power, but one of, not one of timidity, but one of power and love and discipline. Friends, these are ours in Jesus. We just don't grasp onto them in the moment. 
They are yours. And then, what's our hope in this? What's our hope? Our hope is that Jesus wasn't impulsive or overindulgent. Jesus wasn't a glutton. He was accused of being a glutton, but he wasn't. He wasn't impulsive or overindulgent. He came to accomplish the Father's will. No more or no less. And he, and he did it with prudence and with foresight. His mind was on the prize. So Jesus wasn't about more, more, more. He was about this. I will do exactly what my Father wants. No more, no less. And Jesus wasn't a sloth either. He didn't shrink back from the task that was given to him, and he wasn't afraid to put it into action. He went to the cross, even though at Gethsemane, he begged for the cup to pass from him. He wasn't about less, less, less. He was about this. Whatever my father wants, no matter how hard, no matter how scary, I will do exactly that. Friends, you and I fall short. And I suspect that as we continue for the next couple of weeks, you will see yourself in every one of these sins. But we have a Savior who has overcome, who showed himself to be the virtue to our sin and who's done it for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.